to Trek Companion, your companion on the trek. <laughs> this is episode 40, and I'm your host. Hey, it's episode 40, and I'm your host, Ryan Williams. Yeah, we're finally over the hill. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. Today we're going to be discussing uh, DS9's sixth season episodes, The Reckoning, Valiant, and Prophet and Lace. Let's do it! <laughs> The Reckoning, Season 6, Episode 21, Production Number 545, Original Air Date, April 29, 1998, Teleplay by David Weddle and Bradley Thompson, Story by Harry M. Worksman and Gabriel Stanton, Directed by Jesus Salvador Trevino, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast include James Green as Corral, Louise Fletcher, Fletcher as Kai Wynn, and Judy Durand as Station Computer Voice. <laughs> Cisco is called to Bajor, where an ancient tablet addressing the emissary is discovered. Seeing the tablet, Cisco launches into a vision, during which the prophets tell him the reckoning must begin. Since no one knows exactly what this means, Cisco takes the tablet back to Deep Space Nine for Dax to translate. Kai Wynn arrives on the station and pushes Cisco to return it, but he refuses, convinced he is doing the will of the prophets. You are Cisco. Keep your hands off your weapons. It's a prophet. Why have you taken this woman's body? This vessel is willing. The reckoning. It is time. Adam, start us off on the reckoning. The reckoning. Um. The reckoning. I was. I've, I. I couldn't remember quite. Remember this episode? I'm watching it. I'm like, going, why didn't they just make a holographic? picture of it and bring it to the station but then i remember then he broke it and i'm like oh that's why so, right right, right. <laughs> like the first i don't know is this supposed to be that like costumogen was like like in jail or something in that tablet did he come out is that what that was he was coming out of the tablet or am i it totally wrong really explained I, that, that fully that's my kind of assumption kind of but but it was just costumogen or it was other well maybe the wraith or was it a pot wraith and a uh uh you know the prophet i kind of thought maybe one of each because there's one of two, each, two colors coming from that you know okay but that was just an assumption yeah so the so the thing that inhabited kira was the other thing that was in the i'm assuming the tablet. blue thing okay okay all right i'm sorry uh, mr caesar continue um so where was it yeah so i'm like um the, the whole tablet thing um I don't know. I just watched them. I just watched it today. Sorry, and I'm still kind of soaking in. I can't really decide if I really like this episode anymore now than I did when it first aired. I like it just because it kind of pushes the story forward and it kind of shows like what we're going to see in the next um, season with the Paw Wraiths, which you know, kind of this classic tale of good versus evil. We're kind of getting into the heart of what's kind of been hinted at this whole six or seven years. <clears throat> yeah, you know. I've I've talked a lot on this podcast about it. Uh, a lot of these kind of these episodes that deal with Cisco as the emissary and his destiny and stuff. These are some of my favorite episodes as a rule. You know, Rapture I think is an incredibly underrated episode. You know, I talked a lot about that while watching Rapture about how great that episode is and how much I enjoy watching and how good it is. Um, here's an episode where because I like those storylines. I do find myself, for the most part, enjoying this episode, um, and I do like the the basic premise very much um, that Cisco has more faith than anybody, even the you know even the Bajorans, which are the ones you know those are the people that <laughs> this is all for, the, you know. So in a way, Cisco is more of Bajor than the Bajorans. You know, he's 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 willing to eat, sacrifice his son basically, which is crazy. Um, but that's how much faith he has. And, and that basic premise, and we can talk more about that, but that basic premise is is very good, and I really do like that. Um, there are some things in this episode that held it back the very first time I ever saw it and still do. For example, building up to this big battle, you know? Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I saw it, I thought it was so cheesy it was just two people standing there <laughs> looking at each other oh, yeah. with, with a, some cg stuff in between them um i can't imagine what that looked like to shoot <laughs> stand, keep standing look meaner okay <laughs> oh, really um and i don't know it's it the whole thing unfortunately the structure of the episode it does feel like it kind of hinges on 
me buying that. And if I think that's cheesy, then that's kind of what I remember from it. I'm not saying it's definitely cheesy, but you kind of think, is this cheesy? I think this might be cheesy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, obviously, I was. I thought to myself, like, how could you tell that story today? Because maybe that's just you know what was available to them at the time. Like, how could you convey that? Um, that kind of battle between good and evil, how would they do it today? Yeah, so is it dramatic or is it cheesy? It's a bit cheesy. Sorry. Steve? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And, I, um, yeah, and I'm not sure what would make it a lot better, unfortunately. I mean, I, th- I think, yeah, you have CG effects with two people standing there, but when you take on some kind of task as daunting as good versus evil, you're already kind of fighting an uphill battle there. Even I mean, if they it, were like running around the station. Yeah, even if yeah. they had the best effects ever and they could like it jump would still all be cheesy, wouldn't it? The if they, if like, can you imagine Kira jumping out from behind a, a you know a console or something and throwing like a, <laughs> a bolt like Street Fighter or something you know, with yeah. her arms? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It'd be best. Cheesy. You got a cool looking video game. That's the best you yeah. got. With <laughs> Do you think uh, maybe like a more abstract way of displaying this? I don't know this point that they're making between this fight. Well, fight you know, I think that that's kind of what better. get in in the seventh season. The, the battle with the Polaris, I'm thinking specifically of the, the last episode mm-hmm. of the entire series, you know, that's a little bit more um, kind of just cerebral and a little bit less physical. There is some physical action there, but it's, um, and it's still, but it's still just using the characters we know really um, possessed or no. Uh, and that uh, I don't remember being cheesy at all. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, this is more prolonged, you know what I mean? Like the physical aspect of it. You know, once you're standing there, you're ready to fight, well, you know, you got to do something. For me, this the build episode. Up to it. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm go- I was just going to say the build up to it's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you know, when you, when you, when the build up is like as it is, it's just got to be incredible, but I don't know how to deliver. Yeah, for me, it's kind of like, yeah, the notion is cool in this episode, and I, I don't dislike this episode at all, but kind of the things that we talked about already. What I did find interesting was, um, like like the characterization of Win, for example. I mean, we all hate her, we have, but we haven't seen her in a while. And for me, this this episode does provide one of the best insights into why she's the way she is. And, you know, she just is. Um, it's extreme jealousy. It's like here she is in the position she's in, yet she has to share the um, share that with uh, Cisco. Yeah, and not just with another person, but with someone who is not Bajoran. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I thought that was the most interesting thing about this episode, um, along with the fact that it kind of progresses the story a bit, and it's a kind of a window into the the last season and the last episode and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's actually one of the more interesting questions to come out of this piece is, is definitely uh, Wynn and her motivations. Now, now, Kira flat out says that, that that's the reason, you know, there's this jealousy. Um, you know, and of course, Wynn in this episode will uh, personally go and what is it? The chronoton, not chronoton Chron- part. Of I, think, I think chronoton, is that right? Chronoton that sounds like time stuff. Anyway, uh, yeah. she released something into the air atmosphere that, you know, disrupts the battle, and mm-hmm. now we don't know. She she consciously defies the will of the prophets, and that's not just an extreme thing for a Bajoran. That's a really extreme thing for the Kai uh, mm-hmm. to do. Oh, indeed. And you can't imagine, the, say, the previous Kai doing that. No way. No way. She would have sacrificed anyone, anything, yeah. just to obey the will of the prophets. So um, it's an interesting question. Why does Wynn do that? Um, Kira says it's it's jealousy. I think there are some other things you could probably talk about. For example, I think I think Wynn is so <laughs> so thirsty for power that the concept of in, you know if uh, if the prophets had won this battle against the Paul Wraiths, um, it's supposed to usher in one thousand years of you know golden uh, mm-hmm. on Bajor in, in which the the prophets are one uh, with the Bajorans and things. And it, it sounds like a situation where there's not much need for a Kai or that entire structure or mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. such power, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, that idea seemed like uh, distasteful for her. So in a way, uh, she could have lost her power and her significance. And I, her identity. That's the most important thing. That's far more important to her than... Um, you know, following the will of the prophets. I think that's one mm-hmm. of the other interesting uh, outcomes of her decision. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it's kind of nutty when you think about, I, and I've read, 
there was one interview I read with, with Nana Visitor where she talked about she thinks Kira would have been a lot more upset with Nakai for this. I think, A, that's true. B, shouldn't all of Bajor, is it just going to be, is it, is it the office of uh, Kai Wynn putting out some spin here as to <laughs> why she did it? Because if everybody really understood, shouldn't the whole planet be ticked off? Yeah, shouldn't, shouldn't there be some kind of... Uh... Uh, I don't know what the equivalent is, but some kind of impeachment trial yeah. here. I mean, this, this is a big deal. You you uh, basically halted, um, you know, the apocalypse in yeah, a like, way. Can you imagine? Let's say we the the Pope, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, God's son is is coming back to planet Earth on Thursday, and <laughs> the Pope schedules like something really important on Thursday. I don't know. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something along those lines. Thunder or something. It's like, yeah, I don't know if they about a schedule or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, mm. yeah, yeah, I agree. It's a, so, it's, it's a bigger deal. Yeah, than the, only, the only, the only. Yeah. My favorite thing about I've said this many times. Favorite thing about Win and my favorite thing about Ducat are when they're shades of gray, right? Yeah. Um, and. We've pretty much seen Ducat become flat-out evil now, and um, in a way, it seems like there's not much you can do with him now. Now we know the next thing that's really significantly going significantly to happen with him is to bring in the Paw Race, and that's interesting, right? And that actually does work. Um, but even here, you're like, well, the last couple times we saw Kai Win, she was kind of on the fence again, and that made her more interesting. Um, to me, anyway, whenever we just, she's flat out being evil, I don't know, it seems a little bit less interesting. She seems a little bit more predictable, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, did her actions in this episode surprise you guys? No. No, I think they were in character with her. And I mean, you know, and I think you understand why she did it by the end of the by the end of the episode because, um, well, she makes that plea with uh, the prophet, and basically she's ignored. And so, not only is she jealous of Cisco, but she's also pissed because he's always right and she's always wrong. So, mm. so yeah, it didn't surprise me. What she did is what she did. And what about Cisco? Uh, his incredible faith. Um, does he really believe – does he have so much faith that he believes that the prophets are going to protect his son? Which – that seems like a slight stretch to me if, for example, the part of this prophecy uh, was that the entire station was supposed to be destroyed. How could his son survive mm-hmm. that? Um, or is it that his faith is, is so high um, that he really is just flat out willing to sacrifice his son? I think it also has a little bit to do with the the debt he owes, you know. Yeah, the penance that's supposed to be paid for the mm-hmm. uh, actions that the the prophets took. Feels that obligation to, as well, but it's faith and obligation. I mean, you know, mixed in. I suspect he, he's optimistic. Yeah, that everything will turn out fine. But I do think he it's mostly about his faith and pro. I think it's got to that point that he's just he's all in now. You know, with the prophets and. And so that on. he really would be willing to sacrifice Jake. Yeah, and even at the end, Jake said, you know, in their conversation, you know, and yeah. he under he at least he said he understood the stakes and understood that if it meant him dying to have the you know victory for the uh, prophets over the you know the bad guys, you know, that'd be worth. I kind of wondered if one of the reasons Cisco stayed on the station was like super deep down. It's like, yes, I I need to sacrifice my son for this. And this will be worth it. Um, but I don't know that I could live with myself <laughs> after that. So I'm going to stick right. around. So when the station is destroyed, I'll go with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, perhaps. <laughs> sure, there's all sorts of crazy thoughts going through your head when, when you're looking at the, um, the end. <laughs> the other thing I want to talk about, you know, so there's a lot of, for me, what this episode's about, it's definitely, it's faith and and. That's a recurring theme anytime we're talking about uh, these Cisco emissary episodes. And I, I do um, I, I do like that a lot. Uh, and there's another thing in faith, not just Cisco, faith in his son. Kira has faith um, in the prophets uh, and even Odo. 
he says, maybe I don't have faith in the prophets, but I have faith in you, you know? And mm-hmm. Odo knows, he, and he respects her wishes when he tells Cisco that she would want to be their vessel. Um, there's a lot of faith to go around in this episode. That's, so that's another kind of minor storyline in here that I really like is the, the Kira Odo and, you know, Odo's support of Kira and her, mm-hmm. his faith in her. What do you guys have for what it's about? Um, I, would, I would agree, yeah, it's about... A- I think you touched it off right when we started the episode. Really, kind of what it what it's about. I can't um can't disagree with anything. Yeah, I, not I that agree. I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, and I think hand in hand with the notion of faith is is what you're willing to sacrifice for your faith. You know, because uh, you had um, Cisco. We've kind of concluded maybe willing to sacrifice his son if it came down to it. Also, you had Odo, who um, you know vouched for the fact that Kira would want to take part in this, and so in a way. He, his faith in her is making him willing to sacrifice her for that. Well, that's really, that's, I mean, that's how you can define your faith. Mm-hmm, true. Um, is what are you willing to sacrifice for it? Yeah. Um, you know, Kai Wen, she isn't willing to sacrifice her position. Yeah, she would, she would no doubt claim to have faith, but clearly her actions suggest that she wouldn't sacrifice, you know, her power and such for that. Um, real quick, I enjoyed the conversation that um, Kira and Odo had earlier in the in the episode where um, Odo explained to her that he had faith in her, you know, he didn't have faith in the prophets per se, but he had faith in yeah. her. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know. I just like, I like the conversation. I like the, the energy it conveyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is actually, I, I know it's been a couple of weeks because uh, we discussed his way on our last podcast, but that, this was actually the first episode after they got together. Right. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. I thought they did reasonably well. I mean, there were a couple of spots I thought, you know, it's so easy to fall into some kind of kind of mushy, cheesy stuff with a new relationship like that, you know, portraying that. But I thought in general they did they did all right with that. Yeah, I like that there was nothing that like at the beginning when they had their briefing or whatever with mm-hmm. all the crew, you couldn't even tell. It wasn't mm-hmm. and they, they let everyone split and it was just Odo and Kira together. And then there was something there. And that was, you know, that's the right way to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like okay. sweet moments. <laughs> sweet moments. I've got another sweet moment for you. It's called Six Degrees for the Record. <laughs> Adam. James yes. Green plays Coral, the Bajoran monk that brings Cisco to the ancient tablet in the caves under Bahala. In Next Gen's third season, he plays Dr. Baron in the episode Who Watches the Watchers? Dr. Baron and his crew are studying a pre-warp society when their duck blind fails, leaving the locals to believe the Federation crew, particularly the Picard, are gods. How does Picard finally convince the indigenous people that he is, in fact, mortal? Um, he lets, him get, lets himself get shot by a bow and arrow. That is correct. He lets them shoot him with an arrow. Uh, Steve. Yes. Green also had a small role in the Voyager episode 1159 when Janeway's ancestor, Shannon O'Donnell, asked him where she can find gas and lodging. O'Donnell worked as a consultant on a large construction project at the turn in Portage Creek, Indiana. Name this project. It's two words. The first word is millennium. Okay. Um, I vaguely remember this, but it's not particularly clear. Um, Millennium Gate? You are correct. It was All the right. Millennium Gate. Nice. <laughs> Moving on, one-to-one. Valiant, Season 6, Episode 22, Production Number 546, Original Air Date, May 6, 1998. Written by Ronald D. Moore, directed by Michael Viger, music composed by Paul Belergen. Guest cast include Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Paul Popowich as Tim Waters, Courtney Peldon as Karen Ferris, David Drew Gallagher as Riley Aldrin Shepard, Ashley Brianne McDonough as Dorian Collins, Scott Hamm as Parton, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. En route to Ferenganar, Jake and Nog are attacked by the Jimadar vessel when they are suddenly beamed aboard the USS Valiant, a Deviant-class warship. Nog recognizes the crew of young adults as Red Squad, an elite corps of Starfleet cadets. The 22-year-old captain, Tim Waters, explains that his crew, originally on a training mission, became trapped in the Dominion space when the war broke out. All the regular officers were killed, but before he died, the captain ordered Waters to assume command. Even with the entire crew of the Defiant with him, my father would never try to pull off something like this. And if he can't do it, it can't be done. 
We're Red Squad, and we can do anything. Red Squad! Red Squad! Red Squad! Red Squad! All right, uh, <clears throat> uh, Steve, you and I have talked about Next Gen's uh, The Lower Decks episode, mm-hmm. uh, Season 7 episode. Very influential. They would go on to do episodes on all this series, uh, subsequent series that dealt with and not just mm-hmm. dealt with, but told the story from the point of view of younger people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, while, like watching this episode, Lower Decks is one of the first things to pop in my head, but it doesn't really come off as a Lower Decks thing for me. It's it's, it's almost more like, like um, I don't know, playing house or something. You know, like there's yes, a different this, kind of... Yeah, this is exactly what I thought. And for me... I, I don't I don't hate this episode really, but for me that's what really blows it is that, and I, I'm not going to knock on the acting or something. I don't know, you know, I don't have some kind of expertise in that. To know what I'm watching, but when I watch it, what I feel is it's like it's kids playing at being on a starship, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if it's that all the actors, you know, we're, we're used to people that are used to delivering these kinds of lines and used to being in that environment and so on. But what it comes off as is comes off as silly for me. It's like the these these young people, it's like. Take us out, warp this. Hey, you need to do this, and blah. You know, it just it's it comes off as like as as like you said, playing house or something. And yeah, there's and it not kind of that, ruins it for me. There's not that next level of really considering your actions that 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 say the characters in Lower Decks had. Yeah. You know, um, where they where they understood their limitations, mm-hmm. and um, they knew that they lacked certain levels of experience. Mm-hmm. You know, they they respected the experience that the senior officers had. I put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is what's lacking here. But I will say that I don't really think negatively of the episode for it so much as I think. I mean, that's what I think they were going for. Mm-hmm. Now, is it stretching credulity to say this? You know, high scoring um, group of of um, Starfleet cadets. Uh, this successful group of cadets could all have this group and can all make this same kind of um, arrogant, overconfident mistake. You know, could they all share in this together so equally? Um, that is where I think it maybe fails just a little. Um, mm-hmm. It's that seems like too much of a stretch. You know, yeah, um, that you're saying these kids have been out here for eight months. Um, Dorian, there's a scene between Dorian and Jake where she kind of cries when she's thinking about home. And, you know, I actually like that because my first thought, hey, kids cry, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but kind of if you take that to the logical conclusion, how has that exact kind of thing not um, disrupted this ship after eight months? Right. You know? Right. And then, yeah, and then right off the bat, they, 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 flip their lid because they witnessed her being upset or making a comment and think they yeah. need to squash it. I mean, it's all, it's all, it's all a bit much or something. Now that's one thing I like. Here's one thing I like in the episode though. You know, anytime it gets me like ticked off, mm-hmm. you know, anytime I feel like empathetic, like the scene when they bring Jake before the, you mm-hmm. know, he was referencing before the captain and the XO and they're like, you need to stay away from Dorian, you know? And I feel immediately like, man, if I was Jake, I'd be so mad. I'd yeah, be, yeah. I'd be like, yeah. what are you talking about? You guys are not, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, and then later, of course, when they arrest Jake and put him in the brig um, I feel so much empathy toward him so I know there's the, the show is working on some dramatic level mm-hmm. sure because it's upsetting me there <laughs> you know <laughs> you know yeah. I feel I feel uh, Jake or, or the scene of, um, one of the better scenes in the show uh, when um, Jake is talking to Nog to try and convince him hey this this plan is nuts um, it I, I am on Jake's side there and I feel everything he's saying and I can feel his frustration that mm-hmm. he can't convey this to his friend, that his friend has been sucked up into the group think. Yeah. Uh, well, well, yeah, if you think, um, well, Jake represents us in this episode. I mean, yeah. we, mm-hmm. we talked about kind of like it is over the top about where where this came from and where it's going. And so Jake feels that. I mean, he's like, this is crazy. And that's how was, they did convey that well. And you feel like Jake is. So Jake is, you know, our representative there. Like, man, I'd be flipping out. <laughs> Let's get yeah. out of here. So um, in that sense, you know, it's, it, it's working mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. And, I, and I don't know if it's saying something more. I don't, I don't know for me if it says something positive about um, Jake and Nog, those actors playing those <laughs> roles, or saying something negative about everybody else. But that's kind of how I got. I mean, I, I could only really... 
invest myself in it and feel like I'm involved and sympathetic when it involves Jake and Nog. It, to me, everybody yeah. else, it just was kind of like, this is a little silly or something. Every time it was just them carrying on their duties and such. Yeah. Now they're, they're trying to give us this entire ship of cadets and they really only convey it through three of the cadets, right? You've got mm-hmm. the uh, captain waters, his exo. I can't remember her name. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then uh, Dorian. Um, By the way, his XO, she reminded anybody else of the best of both worlds girl? Shelby, was that her name? I can't remember the character's name. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she kind of reminded me of that, like a young version of her. Sure, sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not just the way she looked, looked, but the way she kind of acted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Um, so, So really, we're trying to sum up this entire crew with just three characters. Um, and I thought the Dorian girl, I thought that actress that played Dorian did a good job. You know, her yeah. one scene yeah. where she's talking about home. I thought that was, that was very effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't feel that way about, well, I don't think the XO really had much to do except um, bark, but mm-hmm. uh, the captain had some opportunities and maybe those were a bit missed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, overall, I'll, I'll say this, this episode was actually, I remembered thinking it was a little bit ho-hum, but I actually liked it a little more than I remembered it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, got a so quick, I, still, I still thought it was good. I got a quick question for you, Brian, since you were in the military once. Why wouldn't um, Jake, not Jake, um, Nog be the senior officer once he stepped aboard that ship? Because yeah, was- I had the same thought, too. Like, immediately, that was my first thought. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. He's an actual... Their cadet, officer, actual officer, even if he's the lowest officer, if mm-hmm. that makes him rank everyone. Uh, I had to look that one up, how they got away with it. Ron Moore referenced in his writing, because you know, he wrote this one. He, he didn't put it in the show, but he said it, uh, there was a 17th or 18th century Navy um, regulation that he recited mm-hmm. um, where basically uh, – the acting one in wartime, I forget, but he had he had some regulation he found where it would it did support it. Okay. I, don't I didn't have that much of a problem with that. I was just kind of it, it was of... a bit of a stretch. Yeah, it was a bit of a stretch, definitely. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's another thing in general that hurt, and you've already kind of addressed that. But the 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 incredulity incredulity regarding some of the facts and how it seems a little bit, and and to add to that. The whole ending, you know, I mean, it's okay. So they're launching escape pods. The only one that seems to make it is the that one is our main character's so, on. Yeah. And then the Define is the ship that happens to be picking them up and the whole thing. You know, that, that kind of adds to it. It all seems a little bit controlled. Yeah, it was a little crazy. That, that I mean, how lucky is that? that these, yeah. This is the only escape. They didn't have to do that. You know, they could. all they had to do was give us a couple more escape pods that made it. Right, um, right. Or they could. They didn't even have to show it. That, I liked how it's kind of funny. They show all these pods being blown up, and you don't, you know, it's kind of like you know they're going to get away. Why yeah, are you showing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. If you were, if you were one of the crew members running to an escape pod, you should know to go into the one that has Cisco's son. I'm going to that one. <laughs> you guys, I'll see you. Uh, yeah. Like right, all the other episode. ones are painted red. I'm not getting in those. They make this really good. Kill Jake and Nog. <laughs> We'd be talking about it all yeah, differently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I I do like that moment when um, when they're battling that that monster ship and oh my god that ship is a monster that battleship it's scary looking it's a Star Destroyer yeah it really was wasn't it (laughs) Um, I like that moment whenever the kind of explosion goes away and they realize it's still there and it's coming for them and there's like uh oh oops you know it didn't work Um, I I like that moment I think they could have played that up even more but I I did like that moment okay so um What's this episode about? I think we, think we kind of talked about it here. It's, it's this overconfidence, this arrogance. Um, Steve? Yeah, I think along those lines, I think it's the, the notion that um, the, the, uh, the pitfalls and just blindly uh, following anything, an individual or a notion or whatever, without taking time to consider, consider the consequences in the big picture and in and especially how easy that is to do as a young person and the, you know, the pressures on and, and the lack of experience and what the results might be. Yeah. Now, Eisenberg talked about um, he loves this episode because in this episode, you know, this is the actor that plays Nog. So in this episode, Nog's mistake is 
the, the reason he lets himself subscribe to the group think so fast is, you know, and he buys into everything Waters is saying is because he really wanted to be, <laughs> he wanted to be chief engineer. That mm-hmm. was a very attractive, you know, option to yeah. him. You know, and you can, you can, you can kind of extract, extrapolate that out to many of the members of this crew. Um, sure. And uh, I think that's the kind of thing you're getting at there, Steve. You know, this, mm-hmm. this, yeah. when you want something like this and you're not paying attention, you know, you're not asking yourself, did I really, um, am I, am I not thinking for myself here? Uh, Adam? Yeah, I mean, um, well, in Yan Nog's case, I think, in, do you really, did you, did they really earn that? And I think that's kind of when he came towards it. You have to kind of earn those positions of um, responsibility, not just authority, but I mean, just being that responsible and having the right judgments because I mean, you look at the, the, the fault of um, Captain Waters, it's, he, he puts, he didn't put his crew first. Every ca- every good captain you see in, in Star Trek, they they always put the lives of their their crew first, and it doesn't mm-hmm. you know unless unless the world's about to end, that's the only difference. Or you know yeah. they're good. so um, yeah, poor judgments and lack of experience. Those are the things about this that I took away from this episode. Yeah, you know, it's interesting at the very very end. Whenever um, Nog has he does understand the mistake that he made. He does understand kind of what happened there in the sick bay on the Defiant. But um, Dorian was so, I don't want to say brainwashed, but she, she was so taken She was in. loyal. Yeah, she was so loyal. <laughs> no nice way of saying it. That she, she still couldn't accept that, you know, Waters had these faults, that he had, that he had made this mistake. Mm-hmm. That he had cost the lives of so many people. You know, that's... Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, loyalty in quotes for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think we covered this one. So, uh, just real quick, I, I thought this episode was good. Yeah, not not great, definitely not bad. But um, Caesar, you you kind of felt that way. Steve? Yeah, it was, it's entertaining. I mean, it, entertaining. I, I agree with some of the things Steve said, but I was able to. Steve, up. would you see? Do you think this is a bad episode? Or? No, I wouldn't call it bad. No, I think it's one of the weaker ones of the season. But of course, it's a very so, strong season. Yeah, an average episode at best. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So. All right. So moving on. Six degrees for Valiant. Uh, our score is one to one. Uh, Adam went first last time. Steve. Okay. David Drew Gallagher plays Cadet Riley Shepard, the doomed helmsman of the USS Valiant. We last saw Gallagher as Red Squad's Riley Shepard in the second part of the DS9 two-parter Homefront in Paradise Lost, in which Shepard helps to disable Earth's power system. In what season was this? Okie doke. Um, was it the third? No, sir. Okay. Um, uh, you guys tell me, should this be a pass on to the next other person or no? We'll let Steve decide. <laughs> you, you, you can give it a try. Yeah. I'll say season four. You are correct. It was season four. Very good. <clears throat> that, that was a, because they originally had planned it to be in season three. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the studio said, we don't want a cliffhanger coming out of season three. Uh, so that's when they did Adversary, which really didn't have a cliffhanger. That's, of course, set up the stage to never do cliffhangers on DS9. And then Paramount said, you can't open season four with this because if we want the Klingon thing to happen. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this was very, it was very unusual, and this two, that two-parter was in the middle of the fourth season. All right, uh, what do we got here? Two to one, Adam. Adam. Yep. Ron Moore finally gets to name a ship Valiant in this episode. He had originally wanted to call the Defiant. The Valiant. Uh, but at the time, the powers that be wouldn't let him name any ship that started with the letter V. Why? Um, I don't know. V for Vendetta? I have no idea. <laughs> Steve? Voyager. Wait, wait. It's Voyager. It's Voyager. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Just popped in my head. Sorry. Very good. Uh, <laughs> so what is that? 3-1? Uh, yeah, three one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you lucky there's no buzzer there, but yeah. <laughs> Moving on. 
Profit and Lace, Season 6, Episode 23, Production Number 547, Original Air Date, May 13th, 1998, Written by Ira Stephen Bear and Hans Beimler, Directed by Alexander Sedig, Music Composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Henry Gibson as Nilva, Jeffrey Combs as Brunt, Max Grudanchik as Rom, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Cecily Adams as Ishka, Chase Masterson as Lita, Tiny Ron as May Hardu, Sylvain Cecile as Uralash, Simba Smith as Allura, and Wallace Shawn as Zek. Grandin Zek and Ishka arrive on the station to announce that, thanks to their relationship, Zek has added a new amendment to the Ferengi Bill of Opportunities, giving females rights to wear clothes. Unfortunately, this has plug- plagued the entire Ferengi society into chaos. Zek has been disposed of as Grand Nagus, and Liquidator Brunt is now acting Grand Nagus. Nice try, Quark, but it's not going to work. He's the station's bartender. Don't listen to him, Hardlobes. I'm as female as they come, and I'm going to prove it to you. Well, thank you for listening to Trek Companion. Uh, feel free to call now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think much of this one. <laughs> well, you know, uh, this episode, I, I did some research on this. There were there were several polls, especially especially at the time the episode aired. Um, I mean, that's within a few months, so let's say that season, that rated this like the worst episode of DS9. They even had this one. There was one... I think it was the SFX Magazine poll that rated Pale Moonlight number one and this as the worst and Move Along Home as the second worst. Now, hmm. Move Along Home is the worst episode. It's, in fact, <laughs> yeah. it's the only incredibly yeah. terrible, embarrassingly bad, awful episode mm-hmm. of DS9. This episode isn't that bad. Mm. Um, I might call it the worst of the season. I would say that for sure. I but, think that's fair. But the, the season was good, yeah. I really didn't. I never cared for the um, the miniaturization episode, but yeah, it oh, was, yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> true, true. It, it was probably better than this episode. <laughs> um, you know, Cork makes an incredibly ugly female. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if just magically they'd recast him, recast, <laughs> you know, oh, he goes into the room to get a sex change, he walks out, and it's just some hot model or something. Mm-hmm. You know, might have helped. <laughs> well, hot model certainly wouldn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> now, your question is: so, so what happened? What went wrong here? Um, the writers say they wrote a full-on, flat-out, you know, nutty comedy. Uh-huh. The the performers and the director tried doing something a little more serious with it. Um, and you ended up failing on both fronts. Yeah. So I think the, the writer's implication is that if it had been played and, and shot in a, as more of a flat out comedy, it would have been better. And um, the performers and the director felt like if it had been written a little more seriously, it would have been better. I, I think it would have more likely f- uh, succeeded if you'd have headed towards the writers and visioning as funny. I think with something like this, it is so incredibly preposterous that the only way you're going to do it is if it just goes all out and is just dumb funny. Like it's just just crazy dumb funny. You know, sure. that, that to me, that's the only way this would really would have come off. Now, once I once I've seen something like this, it's so hard for me to imagine it done differently. Mm-hmm. That I have a hard time imagining it done in a way that makes for a good episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, th- I think if they wanted to just, go... It's not even... It's not just Quark in drag. He literally gets a sex change. Yeah. yeah. He's another yeah. guy, and he takes his clothes off to show that he's all woman. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what they were trying to say there. Really. Um, I think, you know, if you were going to go down the serious route with this episode, you should have... They should have introduced a new character, a new, a new Ferengi female, to play that that part. I don't know. There couldn't even been another kind of like pseudo love interest court could have taken on in this. And that would have been a better way to tell this story in a serious way. Um, as far as like the comic way, you know, there's a, a bunch of different ways to go. I don't, yeah, I don't really understand why they had to go the whole, all the whole way with the sex change. Um, I wish they could have brought back, you remember that character from the, I think it was the second season or was it mm. first? No, second season, Pell or yes. Yeah. Yeah. Pell yeah. Or something like that. She mm-hmm. was great. And I think that's she the only other part. 
she would have been perfect for them to bring her in here. Um, but, you know, I think what happened was more like the writers had this idea of they wanted Quark and drag and they wrote the whole episode around that. Yeah. Yeah. So there was never any chance of them doing something like bringing, um, Pell in, if I'm getting her right. name correct. Right. Um, yeah, for me, for me to go in the serious route, like if, if they really wanted to do serious, yeah, it, very, had, it would have to be very different. But one option would be to like not quirk because this wouldn't work. But some, I don't know, someone, some like a male Ferengi that's willing to go through that sex change operation for good to make some kind of point or something. You know, and they I, also want to do it. I mean, you know, I mean, it's yeah, yeah. something their identity. You know, they could address this issue. You know, of identity. You know, it is an issue where, you know, yeah, gender identity and focus on that notion. That would have been very revolutionary in 1998, probably. And and, and it's kind of like they tried to do this, but they did it in a bad way. They did it. They didn't do it any kind of justice. There's there's a kernel of an interesting idea in there. You know, there's one scene, just one scene, Uh, the scene between Silva and Quark slash Lumba in Quark's bar when they're having dinner. And he's convincing her uh, with all of his financial knowledge that. You know, there is a market for females um, that he can sell his product to and make all this money. And in that scene, there is just a kernel. There is a slight sense that, oh, look, um, Quark is against all of these things, but he has to sell them. them, And he's -hmm. he's starting to learn it and appreciate it and understand it. And that, I thought, was an interesting concept. Mm -hmm. I don't mm-hmm. feel like they really realized it in, in any way, right down to the last seconds of the episode, whenever he even tells uh, Alora, the Dabo girl, that at the beginning he was basically saying, I, I want you to include uh, you know, sexual favors if you want to keep this job. Mm-hmm. And at the end, he says, um, I was being, that was crazy. I had no right to ask that. That's silly. She walks away and then he says, what was I thinking? You know, and he runs up again and he's like, it's just like, <laughs> stepping all over any possible thing that he could have learned yeah you know yeah you know what it strikes me a little bit in some ways you addressing that notion of how he handled the situation with his Dabo girl was uh, it strike it, it's, it's like a step it's like steps backwards it's almost like someone's writing this as, as just a generic could have taken place early in the series you know whatever it doesn't make any difference because it totally makes Quark look bad in a way I mean mm-hmm. on the whole you know make that whole thing with the double girl makes him look you know conniving and you know not not so advanced sure he, that's just part of his character but you know over time you think he was learned something you know and now mm-hmm. and then they handle the whole gen- gender identity thing and kind of you know may, maybe a slightly tasteless manner in a way and they're trying to be funny but if, if it's not funny enough you just kind of think tasteless so I, that that's kind of the problem I have in general um yeah i didn't have so much of a problem with the court being a jerk at the beginning or even at the end it kind of to me it kind of bookmarked the episode you see court mm-hmm. and that's just kind of how he, that's how a ferengi he's a ferengi you know sure that was him negotiate that's that's him hitting on his waitress that's his that's how they negotiate you know if mm-hmm. she would have known better then there would have been a bargaining that would have taken place for it but she didn't know what the hell he was doing and at the end it didn't bother me because like, you know, he kind of figured it out and, he, and I think he was genuine about what he had done to her was wrong. Mm-hmm. And, um, the flip side of the, to me, that was kind of like showing, you know, once you, once you clear your own issues, once you clear your own crap, then the things that you want just kind of come to you. So I didn't quite, didn't quite take it as oh. him being disgusting at the end. You felt that she was legitimately interested. So it was okay. Right. He was, he was yeah, because he was heartfelt. He said heartfeltly, he was apologized. He heartfeltly apologized yeah. to her and said what he did was wrong. <laughs> and then, and so sometimes when you do the right thing, you get, you get good things. In the name of the book, Umox for fun and profit. I wonder if that was written by a man or a woman. I guess it would have to be a man, right? Cause no woman can, um, Earn profit. Yeah, profit sure, profit. sure. Yeah. Um, another thing that kind of bothers me in this episode, and I, I clearly do not hate this episode as much as the average Trek fan, uh, but I, I, it's certainly a bad episode, no question. Yeah. Um, but one thing that did bother me was kind of the stereotypical way they deal with gender. You know, oh, I'm a woman now, so now I'm going to be all emotional and. Right. Um, and cry and uh you know really it's certainly not very enlightened i mean I, I suspect the original series would have looked very similar if they would have done something like yes. that in the 60s yeah. you know sure yeah they didn't they didn't do women any favors or um transgender people any favors in this in this episode i didn't 
quite come out either either group yeah. came out too well on this and i think that's what they were trying to do and it just really backfired poorly yeah so so they had good intentions and it didn't really work yeah didn't didn't fly but like i don't i don't hate this episode it it has some funny moments and it's amusing to see yeah um, i i think steve makes a good point that if this is had been a like first or second season episode i'd be much more forgiving for it, it, mm-hmm. it but it doesn't seem like the place that Cork has gotten to even right. to have him the way he screams at his mother in this episode um mm-hmm. seems like we've kind of gone through that before and and, and yeah i don't know that maybe he's that seems like he had gotten a little bit better than that but to literally tell her she's the worst thing that ever happened to the ferengi alliance for <laughs> god's sake i don't know yeah. yeah it's like they reset all this stuff that i thought we we advanced through a bit in the last yeah. few ferengi episodes I, I did like the line that is, you know, we fight with each other. That's how we show affection. <laughs> I did like that line. <laughs> I like that um, uh, Bashir is wearing the, the red outfit, you know, like from Next Gen, if you're working on somebody's heart. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Sluggo Cola. I wouldn't mind <laughs> giving that to some people that I don't like. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Some of the stuff that um, Ram does in showing how to be a female is humorous. That made me laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I agree. Okay. So is this, this is, this isn't like the Spock's brain of DS9, is it? No, 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 no. No, it's just, it's just not so great. And it's amplified by being surrounded by, on, on the whole, a lot of good episodes, very good episodes. So. Yeah. In all of the series, it probably is. I mean, the only worst episode is probably Move Along Home. I mean, I'm trying to think of something that... Off the top of your head. Yeah, worse than this. Yeah, so there's yeah. a good example. So if we could just pretend that Move Along Home was never never made. Uh, <laughs> Profit and Lace, if this was the worst episode of the show, and you're like, well, I, there were still moments in there as a DS9 fan and as a Ferengi fan that were interesting yeah, and yeah. Uh, i don't the know overall this does have a significant um story thread for the ferengi and for ds9 because you know mm-hmm. uh zek gives women all these rights um i Robert pointed out this episode failed so hard that it basically killed the ferengi for ds9 in that this is the last full-on ferengi episode which I did not realize until I read that interview with Ira Bear. The remaining, any remaining Frankie story threads are always, you know, like an A story or a B mm. story or something like that. There's no more. They get the whole episode. That doesn't happen again. Mm. And, and that's I, kind of sad. Yeah, I understand why he said that to a point, but I would question even if this was was a, was a quality episode with all they have to say and cover in the seventh season. I'm not sure that we would have seen, you know, a full on Ferengi episode squeezed in there anyway, in my opinion. Well, that's true. I mean, you've got 10 of the, whatever, 25 or 26 episodes from season seven for just that last story arc. All right. I think we've, you know, do we have an answer for what it's about? I think actually, I think we could probably come up with equality, equality. No, I don't think that's what it's about. No, I'm trying to come up with something. <laughs> yeah. um, well, maybe that's why it's not any good because. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not not sure to be honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's about Cork makes an ugly female. Mm-hmm. We learned. Yeah, that's what we learned. Sorry, folks, this episode yeah. is not a good episode. <laughs> and if we don't have an answer for what it's about for a bad episode, this is okay, because the only way we can have one if it's bad is if we make it up. Hey, I challenge, I challenge the listeners. If, if someone really likes this and wants to tell us something that's very intelligent about what it's about, we'll read your email. Because right. that, you know. It's a challenge to you folks. <laughs> Why do we have to do all the work? <laughs> uh, in that case, let's move on. Six degrees for Profit and Lace. So our score is 3-1, Adam? Yep. All right. Um, Adam, you going first or second? Um, I'll go second. Steve. I don't think anyone has ever chosen second before. Wow. Steve, 
Simba Smith plays Alora, the Dabo girl that learns all about Umox for fun and profit. In Voyager's second season in the episode of Alliances, she played an alien dancer in a bar where Neelix is looking for his contact as part of Voyager's delicate negotiations to pursue peace with what alien species? Oh my goodness. That doesn't really ring a bell at all, so I'm just going to have to guess something around that time or whatever. Um, Kazon? You are correct. The Kazon. Right, 3-2, Adam. Uh, what series regular did not appear in any of the episodes we discussed today? That would be Chief O'Brien. You are correct. Chief O'Brien. 4-2. <laughs> Adam wins it. All right. All right, folks. We are so excited that in two weeks we are going to be... Finishing out DS9's sixth season with the final three episodes of DS9's sixth season. Uh, and longtime listeners to our podcast will note we have always stated there is one spoiler and one spoiler only <laughs> that we avoid on this show in talking about DS9, and that's what happens at the end of the last episode of this season. So I'm glad that in a couple of weeks we don't have to maintain that spoiler anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to talk about it over and over again. Just to <laughs> It's going to be in every episode going every forward. Every episode, until we finish up. So, um, yeah, um, so our next podcast hopefully is going to post okay. It's going to be a little bit weird because we're going to be switching servers. I'm hoping that the worst thing that happens is, you know, maybe some older episodes will show up as like you haven't listened to them, even though you have. I'm hoping that's the worst thing that happens. If all heck breaks loose and our feed really gets screwed up, you know, just uh, check us out on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Trek Companion or follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion, uh, and we'll keep you up to date there. But we sh- everything should go smoothly, crossing our fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also send us an email. Uh, that's trekcompanion at gmail.com. And that's it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, leave us a review on iTunes. is the greatest thing you can do for us. And uh, we will see you next time. Enjoy your slug cola. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.